passages tonight. Um, and as you turn there, um, I want to uh, uh, pray before we read it, but we're going to be looking at Psalm 23, uh, just like uh, uh, Josh did last week. We're going to be looking at a particular uh, verse in Psalm 23. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 23 in the Old Testament and Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 through 10 in the New Testament. So if you want to stick your hand on Psalm 23 and uh, flip forward to Revelation chapter 19, or if you're using a device or a computer, pull up two different tabs. Um, those are the two scripture passages we're going to be reading tonight. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we open up your word, you would reveal to us Jesus Christ. Um, Christ is the point of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. The entire Old Testament, the entire scriptures are pointing to him, revealing him, showing him. And we pray, Lord, that they would show us the glory of Christ, the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the goodness of Christ. Um, that we may taste and see, Lord, your goodness tonight as we consider the heavenly feast you have prepared for us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Psalm 23. A very familiar psalm to many of you, I'm sure. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, lie, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The latter half of Psalm 23 is what we're going to be looking at in correlation with the Lord's Supper. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, New Testament scripture passage Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! In glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged and heard the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. 
For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord, Lord's Day 28. Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, it is the first Lord's Day on the topic of the Lord's Supper. Um, here are the questions and answers of Lord's Day 28. Question, seven, answer 75, 76, and 77. Question 75 says, how does the Lord's Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, answer says, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup. With this command, he gave this promise. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and tastes with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. Question 76 is, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? The answer states, it means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and by believing to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And if we, we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as members of our body are by one soul. And question 77 says, Where does Christ promise to nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat this broken bread and drink this cup? The answer is, in the institution of the Lord's Supper, quoting from 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, the cup after supper, saying, Take, this cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul in these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The cup of blessing which we bless is not, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one body, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. That's the teaching of the catechism. For tonight. What I want us to think of um, before we enter in to talk about the scripture passages before us tonight, the catechism before us tonight, 
is a concept that uh, maybe many of us um, don't think of very often in our modern day. And it's the idea of table fellowship. Table fellowship is the idea of um, having people over for dinner and sitting them down at your table uh, and greeting them uh, in, in hospitality with a meal. Table fellowship is something that is littered throughout the scripture as imagery. It's an imagery that God presents to us as important to the redemptive uh, story. The entire arc from Genesis to Revelation is, you could really say, uh, about table fellowship with God and coming to his table. Uh, Martin Luther was uh, very fond of this idea. In fact, there is a, a well-known group of writings um, put together by Martin Luther's students and called Table Talk. And essentially what that group of writings is, is as he would have people over to his house um, and some of his students would come and they would engage in conversations about politics, about life, about scripture, about the Bible, about all these different things, um, the, uh, the students and his friends would write what he would say down. And this list of sayings or comments was collected and uh, as his notoriety uh, rose, put into a book called Table Talk. It's the same reason why Ligonier's uh, small magazine publication is called Table Talk. It's based off of this. If you go to uh, fuller.edu, there's an article uh, that speaks about Martin Luther's practice of table fellowship. It states, the household that developed around them for the next 20 years before Luther's death in 1546 was a place where all of these roles would play themselves out in public and private settings. And at the dinner table in particular, the Luthers exercised extensive and generous hospitality. Church leaders, diplomats, scholars, impoverished family members, refugees, students were constantly in and out of the huge building that had been Luther's Augustinian monastery in the old days. Luther's big personality took full advantage of the stimulating company and dinner conversations were lively and meaty. Providentially for us, a sequence of students who stayed at his home and who were well used to taking notes when Luther spoke, jotted down what they heard. Various editions of Luther's table talk have been in print ever since. This practice of table talk is not something that Luther invented. It's something that uh, goes throughout the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. And there's a, a lot of ways that we could talk about the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of ways that we could uh, focus upon various acts, aspects of Lord's Day 28. But what I want to do for you tonight is I want to look at this, um, this Lord's Supper in a, a past, present, future aspect. Um, the way that God used this imagery in the Old Testament, tracing that throughout um, the way that it connects us to what happened at the cross, um, the way that it reaches to our present and cares for us in the now, and the way that it reaches out to the future and what we're promised uh, from, from the scriptures.
Um, so that's what we're going to do tonight. But first, I want to write down our theme. Our theme for this evening is Christ nourishes our souls. At his table fellowship. Christ nourishes our souls at his table fellowship. And of course, like I mentioned before, three points are pretty simple past, present, future. Another way you can look at the catechism questions first is how, right? Uh, second question is what? Uh, third question, where? How, what, where? Um, but I want to look at particularly, in particular, uh, this element of past, present, future. Um, the the, uh, the perspective of past, present, future really derives itself from question 76 and 77. So before we get to that, I want to look briefly at question 75. How does the Lord's Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross uh, and in all his benefits and gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat the bread and drink the cup. With this command, he gave this promise. So it's a command, right? And it's a promise. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord and the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Um, this is really a present reality. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves and tastes with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life for this crucified body and blood. I just realized that's a present reality, and so we're going to come back to that. First, let's look at the past. I mentioned to you Psalm 23, right? It's a very familiar psalm, but I don't think many of you have ever considered the, uh, the table fellowship mentioned in Psalm 23. And realize that this is not something that's unique to Psalm 23, but found in all of Scripture. Verse 5 of Psalm 23, the, the prepared table, right? David, as he declares the care that the great shepherd gives to him, describes it in this sense. Um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What does that mean? It means that God, you... I put all of my enemies at my footstool, and here you have prepared a table before me. You have set a table before me. And this is, uh, this is connected with this eternal reality, right? You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a reason why... I connected Psalm 23 to Revelation 19, right? The wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to look at that later. But the Lord's Supper is the prepared table. 
We can read Psalm 23 and think to ourselves that what David is describing is an image of what is going to come to true fulfillment uh, in the Lord's Supper. In our age, the prepared table in the presence of our enemies, and the way that God anoints our head with oil and overflows our cup and gives us goodness and love all the days of our life so that we can reach the house of the Lord forever is the way that God sustains us by the body and blood of Jesus Christ and the participation of the Lord's Supper, right? And maybe you don't believe me, this concept of table fellowship, right? What I want you to think of is Genesis. Chapter 2, right? What does Genesis chapter 2 say that we don't think of very often? You may eat. You may eat from all the trees in the garden, but you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, we can defer, we can, we can look at the Genesis narrative and consider it in the form of table fellowship. But what is placed before Adam is the opportunity to enter into what David talks about in Psalm 23, the prepared table, right? But if Adam will be obedient and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he will be able to eat of the tree of life. Consummately. And enter into that dwelling of the house of the Lord forever. So the beginning of the Bible is a story about table fellowship. Well, does it stop there? No. You can think about Abraham who was visited by three men, right? Table fellowship. You can think about Mephibosheth, which, by the way, I'm not going to try to spell that right now. The lame son of Saul, right? And what did David do with him? Table fellowship. Invited him to the table. This goes all the way through the Old Testament, this concept of table fellowship. It presents to us an image, an image that is coming together. The table fellowship speaks to communion, right? That's why we call it communion. It speaks to uh, intimacy, closeness. And this is how God is crafting it in the past. Showing us that uh, what we have in the Lord's Supper is an expression of union with God. Communion, intimacy, fellowship, closeness. And that brings us, even in the Old Testament, to those feasts 
right? And what is that feast? The Passover. Feast, the first feast declared by God as law, something that should continue on and on through the generations of Israel, right? The Passover feast is the feast that celebrates them leaving Egypt, being redeemed out of Egypt. Where they slaughter a lamb, they put the lamb's blood on the doorposts. And what is it exactly that the disciples are celebrating the night that the Lord institutes? What is the new covenant administration of the Passover feast, the Lord's Supper? They're celebrating Passover. They're celebrating Passover when Christ declares those words. Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That is the past. That is the reality that when we are considering the Lord's Supper, for us, from the perspective of the past, it's not only... A a continuation of the history of redemption leading forward to this very moment that we would see the true meaning of the Passover, the true meaning of Genesis, the true meaning of all these things is table fellowship, the table fellowship of Christ, where Christ would nourish our souls, right? But it's also pointing us to the cross. We're looking back at real historical moments. That the Lord's Supper is not simply, not only a mystical reality of participating in the life of Christ. It is also a remembrance of what Christ did for us. Remember, we talked about this with the the sacrament of baptism. We're We're thinking about the cross. His body was offered and broken for me. Answer 75, his blood poured out for me on the cross. Question and answer 76, answer first part. It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ. And by believing, receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So that's the past. Points us. To the work of Jesus Christ on the cross in history, right? What about the present? Where does it meet us now? How does the Lord's Supper remind you and assure you? Remind could be a a statement of the past, right? But assure you is right now, right? That you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and all his gifts. As surely as I see with my eyes, as surely as I receive with my hand, taste. With my mouth.
As sure as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord given to me, the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. As surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves, taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, giving me a sure signs of Christ's body and blood. So surely he nourishes refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. So not only is it pointing us back to a historical reality of the crucifixion of the cross of Jesus Christ in the past, but in the present, as we participate in the Lord's Supper, and oh, I long for the day when we can do that again As we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are seeing, we are receiving, we are tasting, we are being assured, we are being nourished, we are being refreshed in the present for our spiritual life. That's why I wanted you to think of these words from the Belgian Confession of Faith. This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us and gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his sufferings and death, nourishing, strengthening, comforting our poor comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. This is a a, a present reality that we need as people who are living in the here and now, in this present age, as we fight against the world, the flesh, the devil that still clings to us, as, a, as we fight against that, we need a renewal, a spiritual renewal. And that's what this table fellowship is for. It's a spiritual reality in the present that sustains us for what is to come. So that we, as David can say in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Right? The present reality of the Lord's Supper is one that is described in answer 76. It means more simply than accepting with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ. That's a past reality, right? And believing, receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It means more. It means through the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean. That's what we mean when we say it's a spiritual table. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. That's how we're united. We are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so although he's in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. We forever live on and are governed by one spirit as members of our body are by one soul. And that sort of leans us into the future reality, right? Um, there is an end time orientation 
to the Lord's Supper. If I was using my big MDiv seminary words, I would say eschatological. That just basically means uh, the study of end times, the things of the end, right? Revelation chapter 19. It's a profound passage. We won't be able to deal with all the details here. But what I want us to catch, what I want us to realize, what I want us to see, of course, is that that eternal state that we are looking forward to The eternal state that John saw in his vision, right? He saw a multitude. It sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven. He saw a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! Our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. The wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has been made herself ready. That's us. That's the church. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And the angel said to him, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper. The wedding supper. The, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, could be called from feast to feast. From feast to feast. That that great and wonderful day of the returning of the Lord, of the renewal of this earth, the eradication of corruption and sin and death and weakness, and the gathering of all the saints together to praise God. called a feast. It's a wedding supper. And that spiritual union that we have as Christians participating in the Lord's Supper is a foretaste in the here and now of that future wedding supper. It's a renewal and a reviving and a nourishing that carries us on forward to that final consummate feast. That final and lasting table fellowship. And that's what David says in Psalm 23, right? He says, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. He's not simply talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about dwelling in the presence of God forever, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven and comes to earth so that the presence, the gathering, the, the, the togetherness that God can be with his people and forever participate in, in table fellowship, eternal table fellowship at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what Revelation 19 says. Question answer 76 speaks to this. The Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we're united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And that is the communal aspect of um, the Lord's Supper. 
And so although he's in heaven and we are on earth, we're flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit as members of our body and by one soul. When the catechism says, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, really what it's telling us is that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, the way he nourishes our soul at his table fellowship is that he invites us by the Spirit up into heaven. And as we participate in the Lord's Supper and we uh, go to be seated with him in heavenly places, we, we get up there. And although, although in reality we're down here sitting in the pews and we have in our hand the cup and, and the bread um, spiritually, we go up into the heavenly realm and there's Christ. Our Lord, our Savior, and He, He has prepared a table before us. And what, what, does, what does Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, feed you? What does the kitchen look like in that heavenly realm? The place where Christ is seated on the throne. What is quite possibly the best thing that you could possibly think of to eat? The best thing that you've ever tasted here on earth. The best meal you've ever had, whether that's a, a, a medium rare steak um, uh, from Ruth Chris or, or whatever that may be. Whether that's a, a, a deep dish traditional style Chicago pizza from Giordano's or, or, or Illuminati's, whatever which one you like. Um, whatever that may be, in heaven, the host of this supper if he's going to feed you the best thing that he has on the menu in heaven, you know he's going to feed you? He's going to feed you himself. And that's not in the grotesque sense, and not in the cannibalistic sense, obviously, but spiritually. God cannot give us anything better than himself. In the supper, Christ gives us himself. That's what the catechism is saying when he says, share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts. That's what the Belgic Confession is saying when it says, this feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us. And gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his sufferings and death. Nourishing, strengthening, comforting our poor comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. Christ prepares the table. And what he offers us is him. It's him. The eschatological... The end-time orientation of the Lord's Supper is seen also in the institution of the Lord's Supper, Supper, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Have you ever thought of these words? For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
You proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes. Until he comes. Really what you could say is that the Lord's Supper, spiritually, is a breaking in of the future into our present. As all those feasts and all those images from the Old Testament were something that were pointing forward to the great Passover lamb, Christ himself, now the Lord's Supper that he has instituted is coming from the present and pointing us forward to the future consummate feast where we will participate Eternally and perfectly without hindrance in the life of Christ. And this is what we were made for. This is what the Lord's Supper is. And so as we consider the next opportunity that we're going to have to participate in the Lord's Supper, as we Consider prayerfully that that would be very soon. I hope what we've talked about tonight gives you a greater appreciation and understanding of what God has given to us in the supper, what he has instituted in the sacrament. It is a life-giving, faith-renewing, nourishing participation in the body of Christ It is something that shows us God's sovereignty and the way that he has planned in Scripture, pointing always from feast to feast to Christ in the table fellowship that he provides of himself. It is something that nourishes us and assures us in the present of what Christ has done for us on the cross as our Passover lamb. And it nourishes and sustains us so that we can go forward into the future, awaiting and looking towards and longing for the wedding supper of the Lamb that is for us in the future. I hope what this has done for you is shown you how important it is to not neglect the use of the means of God's grace in the Lord's Supper, and how tremendous of a blessing it is. Um, So often we can focus upon the so-called negative aspects of the Lord's Supper, the need to be uh, examined, self-examination, the need to have a certain standard of righteousness in order to come to the table, which is not its purpose, technically speaking. Um, uh, We can think of the way that it depicts the death of Jesus Christ, his body uh, bleeding on the cross, and we can forget about the joy, the gratitude um, that we are called to consider, not only the death of Christ, but the resurrection that is to come in the supper, but also what we gain. We gain Christ himself in the supper and we gain the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We are strengthened, nourished, uplifted. Christ nourishes our souls at his table fellowship. Will you join that fellowship? 
the next time that we participate in the Lord's Supper. Will you come to the table? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts and our minds and our hands. We pray, Lord, that in the very near future we can participate and receive your means of grace once again in the Lord's Supper. Until then, will you sustain us and strengthen us by your word. Um, keep us in prayer always. May we, Lord, be sustained in the present by what you have done in the past. And may we look forward to the day, the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.